bankruptcy, divorce laws, disability, probate, there are so many classes on the path to practicing law. Unfortunately, most schools fail to instruct you on the business of law. This is Solo De Facto, a show dedicated to discovering the success secrets that exist in the reality of running a solo practice. My goal is to find the one thing that separates each guest from the rest to give you practical solutions to create a thriving firm. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist. Welcome to another episode of Solo De Facto. I'm really excited for today's guest. Not only is she the reason where I am where I am today, she's also my neighbor, a friend, and a visionary. She's a customer service expert, cheerleader for hundreds, if not thousands, of solo attorneys, and the founder and CEO of Back Office Betty's, Emily LaRouche. Welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. I am so honored that you agreed to be on the show. Um, enough of me talking, though. Let's jump in. Um, my first question for you is, what's the one thing that you wish attorneys knew about running a successful law firm? Probably the one thing that I wish I knew about running a business was that you don't have to go insane to do it. You shouldn't be getting burned out. Burned out is not a good thing, and it's totally avoidable. Okay, so um, tell me more about that. Why do you think so many solo attorneys do get burned out? I think when you're starting up your own firm, you hang up your shingle and you're wearing so many hats that it's completely overwhelming and you're trying to do it all, um, manage your cases, be a salesperson, be a marketer, and it gets really overwhelming really fast and it can lead to burnout. And then another reason could also be pricing strategy that we aren't pricing things in a way that actually is supporting our needs to live and survive. And so you end up taking on too many cases. And if you could just kind of balance that a little bit, it creates a lot less stress. Wow. I love both of those points. One, you can't do everything and you go into law because you like law, not necessarily because you like or know how to run a business. So you have to really focus on what you enjoy so that you don't do it all and, and get yourself overwhelmed. Um, and I totally agree with the pricing thing too, because um, so many people are scared to raise their prices, but then once you do, you realize just how much you were missing out on and how people are still going to say yes. And it's going to make your work more fun for you. So that's yeah. really cool. Absolutely. I t tell people all the time when they say, Oh, I don't know about raising prices. I like to tell the story. The first time I did it, uh, somebody got really blunt with me and was like, your business will not survive if you don't make a change. You need to go and you need to do this fast. And I took them really seriously um, because I was scared at that point and being a new business and um, things just were not going really smoothly. So I went home that day and I revised our pricing. I sent it out to our customers and my worst fears were realized a couple cancellations came in. So I'm thinking they were wrong. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to be the most terrible thing ever. And then what happened was we just did a tiny little increase. The few people who got really upset about it and, and left over a couple bucks um, were inconsequential because the ones who stayed, so now we have less work, and the price adjustment made it so that we were doing less work, and we actually had our revenues go up a little bit. So all in all, I tell people, if you're afraid to do it, don't be, you just pull the trigger, 
It's going to be okay. If no one's complaining about your prices at all, you're definitely too underpriced. Absolutely. If you get um, everyone to say yes, that's like the surefire way to know that you are undercharging because it shouldn't be that easy. You should still have to sell them on your value to get a yes. Yeah. So there's your sign. <laughs> why do you think that, um, why do you think that attorneys do undervalue themselves and they do charge too little and they do try and do all of this to where it's leading to being burnt out? Um, I can speak from my own experience. I think it's very human experience when you're trying something for the first time, um, maybe lacking confidence and, and asking for what it's worth. And so I love the story of the guy who uh, calls up I, and I, I'm so bad at retelling jokes and stories, but well, okay, I'm going to give it my best go and kind of make it up as I go along. So calls out a guy to do, give him a construction bid and says, I need a little porch built. You know, it's just laying down some, some boards, hammering them together, whatever, super easy. Right. And the guy comes out, he gives him a quote for $2,500 and says, $2,500. This is the tiniest little porch known to man. I could buy the lumber and all the supplies for a hundred bucks. Why am I going to pay you all that? And he goes, okay, not a problem. You know, you are going to need an electric sander. You're going to need a cutting you're going to need to measure you're going to need all these tools and uh, the guy says well I don't have all that equipment how much is it going to be to go buy it well over $2,500 well how about if I just rent and borrow yours all right that's going to be you know like a thousand dollars or whatever and he says as you add it up you realize you're paying for the man's expertise his training his equipment and and that's what it is for attorneys too. Don't undervalue yourself because you spent all that time in law school. You learn the stuff, you know what you're doing. You've got resources, mentors to help you if you get in a snag, um, but you're pay people are paying you for the time in schooling that they themselves did not go through. It's okay to ask for what your time is worth. Totally. I 100% agree. And it's almost like I mean, I've researched before, okay, how do I file this document in court? And it is so complicated. And there's so many parts that if you word something the wrong way, you're going to have to just completely redo it and probably going to have to pay somebody to do it for you anyway. And so the average person can't just go and take care of their legal issues on their own. They need this expertise and the attorney's, um, that are charging for it deserve to be paid what they're worth because that person's not able to just go do it themselves. Yep, absolutely. I have, uh, I, I, I belabor this point. So if you watch videos <laughs> with me, you've probably heard this before because I cannot say it enough. Um, but if you sell the value and build the value for people, they don't mind the fees. And this is something that a guy who does water certification testing does. He told me, you know, by law, there are 21 points that we have to test when we're doing these water testing. Well, every company who does water testing has to follow the 21 points. It's required to get the certification and make sure the water is good. So it's not anything special. But what he did 
is he told his customers, when you work with us, you're going to get the certified 21 point inspection guarantee. We're going to cover all 21 of these points. And it sounded really fancy. He gave it a fabulous name, which I cannot remember. But the point was he named a process that he was already doing that everybody's doing, but now it's really differentiating himself and it's making him look like he's giving them this great value that they're not going to get anywhere else. And every attorney can do that. And it will make people make price a little more relevant. Absolutely. We did um, a webinar recently kind of along this line of um, charging for your consultations. And so many people give their consultations away for free and it ends up in wasted time being frustrated. And um, one of the things that we mentioned in that presentation was creating a package, something that sounds really exciting so that people do want to pay for it. Because when you are doing something like a consultation, it already has that connotation that's going to be free and everyone's doing it. Why is yours going to be any different for me? Why wouldn't I just go to the free guy? And when you reframe that into something that sounds a little more exciting, it's still doing the exact same thing, but you're able to build that excitement and they can understand exactly what is coming from it. Yep. It makes it so much more valuable for their dollar. They're going to want that and they're going to spend the money with you. A hundred percent. I love that. And for, I, I remember on the webinar, someone asked about criminal law. We have a DUI attorney who will say, come on in. You're going to get legal advice from me. We're going to be talking. You're going to give me your case details. I'm going to give you an expectation of what typically happens in these case types. I'm going to be giving you my legal expertise and opinion on where to go from here. That's worth something. And he charges like a nominal fee. Maybe it was a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. He says, when you come in for that hour, you're going to get that. You're going to have the path of here's where I think you should go. Now you can take it or leave it. But if you do hire me, I'll apply that fee towards your retainer. So that's one way to do it that lowers the barrier. And I can tell you from experience answering the phones, when we tell people um, the fee will be applied towards your casework, the conversions are way higher on that when it's than when it's a straight fee, especially when it's a high fee. Absolutely, because that's like you don't feel like your money's being wasted because it's going towards something. You're not just giving someone money for a talk. You're giving money towards getting your case um, figured out and being represented. Exactly. I think that's great advice um, for anyone with a consultation fee or if they're scared about the consultation fee is to be able to apply that to the, the total amount. Exactly. And I am by no means an attorney or an ethics uh, you know, master, I do not know the ethics rules for different states. So, you know, anything I say, take it with a grain of salt and check your ethics, because I always like to put that disclaimer out there. I'm not an attorney. I've never been an attorney. I've worked for law firms, um, but I certainly don't know all of the rules. Absolutely. Um, so what, back to the subject of burnout, um, and doing too much and, um, and then obviously not feeling like you're being paid your value. What's one piece of advice that you would give to someone that feels like they might be on the edge of burnout in their firm? All right, so a few of them, a few little nuggets of advice. The first thing is um, fractional team is a great team. And I use this at Back Office Betty's. I have a CFO, a CTO, 
um, a CMO, all of them are fractional. So can you imagine having a solo firm with a CMO, CTO, um, probably don't need a CTO, but uh, <laughs> definitely need the finance and marketing. Um, can you imagine having all of these things and they're all humming along, running smoothly, and it's costing you five or $6,000 a month versus the hundreds of thousands that having these people full-time would be. So fractional is huge. I mean, that's our business. Virtual receptionists are a fractional service. Um, and so, you know, utilize that. Utilize a virtual paralegal or a fractional paralegal, someone who's working part-time. And I like that because you get experts in different areas. And so you get kind of the best of the best um, if you find the right ones. And it's all for a very small cost. Absolutely. And you know what's, I think is cool too about um, the idea of somebody being fractional is you're not in charge of them. They're helping you and they're bringing you their expertise, but you don't have to manage them. You're not training them. You're not having anything added to your plate. You're just getting everything taken off your plate. I think that's pretty cool. And I think it's really uh, key to starting a business as well is to fill your team with those fractional resources um, and being creative. So you know, not a lot of people know this, but when I started back office Betty's, I didn't receive a salary for a couple of years. And I went from being the family breadwinner to having nothing coming in and not only nothing, but then on top of that rating every savings account credit card I had so that I never missed a payroll. Um, and everyone else always got paid, but I went two years without. And so I actually thought, got a bright idea. Let me start another side hustle and start another business part-time on the sides that I can do when I'm not working at back office Betty's um, to support my family because I love this business so much and I was, I refused to quit. And so I started a business um, with my husband and we were doing countertop resurfacing. He worked full-time too. So he would do it on, you know, in the afternoons, on the weekends, we hired a part-time tech and how here's a way we got creative we found someone who was an expert at doing that. He had had, the, had a business before, he was really good at it. And we told him, if we give you 60% of every penny we bring in, you know, until we hit a certain revenue number to pay you out, will you train us on how to do this? He did. So it cost us absolutely nothing up front to get expert help. And uh, we gave him the revenue, got him all paid off within a month. And we utilized back office Betty. So we would have the virtual reception team would be scheduling, booking all the consults. So I'd be sitting there running Betty's during the day while the team's helping and they're booking these consults so that after hours, I could go do house calls, give estimates. And then on the weekends, my husband could go do the work. And that business supported us for six months. But the point of it was, without that getting creative and finding experts to give us help and then using the fractional resources, we could have never done that. Absolutely. I had no idea that you did that. That's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> I'm just picturing you with like a big grinder, like taking down <laughs> the countertops. Um, that's really cool though. And definitely creative because that has absolutely nothing to do with what you do now. And it was just yeah. a way to find something that could support the family. That's kind of um, how I even met you was that's what I did is I became that fractional person, a virtual assistant and started helping people and helping you. And then obviously our relationship has blossomed (laughs) since then. (laughs) But um, sometimes you just have to figure out what you're good at or what you can do and, and use that to support in the meantime. 
Yeah. So Cameron Harold says, if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. I love that. And then everyone I've ever talked to who's like, well, I'm not really sure if I'm ready or if I even have enough work. And I say, oh, honey, you're, you're going to fill up their time because every, as you know, every time I've hired someone to be a VA, I've been like, okay, you're now working full time. I just need to just keep you all to myself. Can you just work at the company? Every, it's happened three times now. So uh, <laughs> there's always work to fill their pipelines, even if you do start off small. So I promise you uh, there is enough to go around. And I will say also put the time into training. Um, you know, when you hire a virtual receptionist company like ours, uh, we put the time into training. We put all of the work into it. But if you're going to hire someone directly to work part-time with you, you've got to put the work into the training. Um, they're not going to show up just knowing exactly how you want to run your law firm. It is time-consuming. It is frustrating. But the rewards are so good if you just stick with it. That's such great advice. Um, I love that because it's true. If you just expect somebody to be able to jump in and know all of the ways that you like to do certain things, you're just going to be disappointed and feel like it's a waste of money. And also you're going to feel like you are doing more work than you were doing before. Um, all right. So moving on to a little bit more about back office studies, what are one or two things about running the company that's the most challenging for you? Um, the most challenging for me would probably be, um, let's see, really anticipating the wants and needs of our clients. Um, I would like to deliver them a five-star experience all the time. And I get it. I've, you know, I, I've told people before, oh, I'm, I'm canceling because I'm moving to Timbuktu and there's no way I can stay with your service. So let me out of your massage subscription handcuffs, you know, that kind of thing. I get it. Um, and instead of just saying, hey, I had a bad experience, um, but I want to know about what's going on. I want to know what's in the heads of lawyers. I want to know where are we falling short or, or the industry as a whole, where is it falling short on really supporting you guys and giving you that relief? It shouldn't feel like, oh, this is just some answering service that gives me marginal help, but there's just nothing better out there. Um, you know, it's like, what else do you need? What else is missing? How, how else can you be supported? Um, you know, we exist to make lives easier of law firms, and I really want to be partners. I don't want to feel separate. And so really just trying to get inside the minds and, and get that, you know, uh, solid feedback is really challenging. Yeah, it's tough when, um, one, you might not even know what to ask to get that feedback. So you just kind of need it to come to you. Um, so on the opposite side of that, what's really exciting to you about the future? Uh, exciting is really automations, technology. We are working on, um, I've been working on this for a couple of years, but we're working on upgrading our tech platform, um, building an app in the next year or so. And, um, the tech platform that we're moving on to is going to make our team more efficient, um, so it'll make their jobs easier, which makes training faster, which means that, you know, as we add new clients, we can make sure that we're staffed up properly, but it also is going to provide, you know, some more insights for our clients. So I'm looking at what kind of data is important for a lawyer to know. Is it important? I would want to know if I were uh, running my own business, 
that I want to know how many of my calls came in were leads, how many of them were solicitors or spam, how many were existing clients. So those are data insights that we're working on being able to give to all of our clients to help them get a better understanding of, you know, all the different moving pieces within their firm. That really is exciting because that information is so valuable, especially to marketing and to know what your other things that you're doing are actually resulting in these phone calls. Yeah. You want to know what's working and you want to know where is my time being spent? What's keeping me so busy? Yeah, absolutely. So now I need to ask, how did you even get here? Um, I, I'm really curious. I've already learned something new about you in this call, and I would love for you to take me back and tell me about the life of Emily, how you came up with the idea of back office Betty's. Was there anything that you think could have predicted that you'd be here and doing this right now? Um, I, w- I would say it was probably the writing was probably on the wall from the time that I was little, <laughs> but the word entrepreneur wasn't really anything that I even knew of or wasn't on my radar until the last 10, 15 years. Um, so in the beginning, you said, you know, hey, you go to law school and you, you, you go to be a lawyer, right? You don't go to start a business. I think I'm the opposite. I've always wanted to start a business. I never knew what it was. And so, you know, at six, seven years old, I used to round up the neighborhood kids and we would put on like this BMX show and I would charge the parents a dollar a piece to watch their own kids doing mediocre performances <laughs> on their bikes, uh, on their skateboards and ramps. And we would put on plays. I mean, I was putting on all these productions in the neighborhood and these sweet parents were so kind that they would uh, pay me to be able to watch their kids. Um, so I was the first enterprise. The next one was I got this idea that we would take paper and we would cut them into long squares and we would I'd get my cousins and we would draw on them and we would go sell bookmarks door to door. And we were so cute and so little. And so we had this, we came home with this huge Ziploc baggie full of coins. We'd sold the heck out of some bookmarks. And um, oh, it's also the day of my first fist fight. As the mastermind, <laughs> you know, I thought I deserved the lion's share. My cousin thought, she did as much work as I did and we should split it. And I said, oh, honey, that's not how being, you know, the boss works. <laughs> so we got in a little fist fight, but we're still best friends. So not to worry. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> that's your first lesson in being um, a compassionate boss, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you are now, you are a very compassionate boss. Um, yeah. Back then funny. I was just bossy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So it's kind of funny. I mean, like if that wasn't a sign, I don't know what was, you know, just those kind of activities. But then, you know, in school, I struggled so much. And back then um, there weren't the resources that there are today. Um, You know, they didn't have special ADD classes. No one said, well, this kid's actually pretty bright. She's just, you know, bored. That wasn't even thing. It was, no, she's stupid. She's lazy. She doesn't want to work hard. And so... Um, my teachers, kindergarten, all the way up to fourth grade, every year they try to fail me. And um, it didn't work until fourth grade. And then they did fail me. And then in ninth grade, I failed the first semester. And it was just not looking good. So I did not realize that I actually had any intelligence or value. My parents at that point were just like, she's lazy. She just, this kid's a lost cause. They're taking my sister to BYU. She's doing tours at Yale. 
I didn't even get to see what the inside of a junior college looked like with them because they were just like, this one, forget about it. She's not going anywhere. We better put our focus in the one who has a chance. Um, so I understand there just weren't the resources then. Um, and, you know, through high school, I finally said, well, I guess I'm stupid. So I'm going to drop out. Um, or, you know, I want to go to the, the troubled kids school because they only meet eight to 12. And so I thought that would be cool. Only four hours a day. So I told my mom, all right, I'm either dropping out of high school. This is ninth grade, mind you, right after I failed first semester. So at this point, I'm a ninth grade dropout. Say, uh, I'm going to drop out or I'm going to go to the kid, the school for troubled kids. And I went there and it was really cool. The first day, the principal says, you know, there's 108 kids when I graduated. He said to me on my first day, uh, you're going to punch in and punch out just like a uh, work. We had those long sh sheets that you clocked in. It says you come in five minutes late, you stay five minutes late. Here's your list of all of the courses that you need to graduate per the state of California. Take them in any order you want. If it takes you three years to do one of them, that's okay. If it takes you three weeks to do one of them, that's okay. So I started picking off the ones that I liked. And something crazy happened. I did the ones I liked and I started getting wins. So one class I think I did in three or four days. A couple other classes I did in three weeks. And I was doing things I liked. Math, I barely made it to graduation. It took me, I took it over and over and over again, all the way up until just a few days before graduation, I passed the final test. But the ones I liked were great. So I actually ended up graduating with more classes. They said like, and this girl has graduated, you know, is graduating with more credits and more classes than anyone, I think, in the history of the school, because she just kept taking all these frivolous classes, you know, um, and that was the first time I realized I wasn't dumb, so that, that I think that changed things for me, and I was like, okay, I got hope. <laughs> wow, that gave me chills, because that sounds like such an amazing school. Um, and obviously you are not dumb. You are brilliant and wonderful business owner. Um, so it's kind of heartbreaking to hear that you thought that you were dumb for so long. I know it was, it was a really, really tough journey, probably for the first like 30 years of life, but I'll say, you know, that high school experience and realizing that, you know, I actually am capable of something. I just didn't know what, and I wasn't interested in anything long enough to become really good at it. Like a lawyer goes to law school. They put so much time and dedication into it. I didn't feel like anything held my interest that long. So I did work for a lot of different law firms and I did work a lot. And I was wildly passionate about customer service, no matter where I worked. I was really excited about making changes and simplifying processes and streamlining things everywhere I went. I did that. And I still didn't know what being an entrepreneur was. And so I didn't think I had a skill to actually ever start a business. I wasn't an engineer. Uh, so I, I just couldn't connect the two until one day I'm working on a huge project and I was getting bad customer service. I'm calling on my breaks. I'm trying to line up home services. No one's answering. The people who did call me back were terrible. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do this. I'm great at customer service. I may not be an engineer. I may not be a lawyer. I may not have that skill to do that one thing, but I, I was like customer service. I can do that. And that's where the whole thing came from. Wow. I, um, I think the best things come out of recognizing that you have a need for something and noticing that there's a big problem 
that is directly in your line of sight. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I know I can fix that. I can do that for other people so that they don't have the same problem that I've had. I think that's really cool. I also love that you took back office Betty's in such a different direction than so many of the other answering services that are just a little bit, I mean, most of them are very similar to each other and do the same thing. And back office Betty's has kind of stepped up with that customer service level above what other people offer. I think that's really cool. And that goes back to being the point I was trying to make earlier about being creative is you know, when I got started, there's already all these other competitors out there. So you imagine you're, you get out of law school, you open a family law firm, you can, you know, throw a stick and hit a, a lawyer, like everywhere you go. So it w- I had to look at, wow, I've got all these competitors. How can I do something different that maybe they're too big at this point to do? And one of the first things I did is create a very niche business with focusing on lawyers and looking at other things that weren't being done at the time. People didn't have the bilingual virtual receptionist as readily available, um, so I offered that. People weren't doing a lot of the in-depth scheduling that we were doing, um, so we did that. And we looked at how can we customize our services to help our demographic even more and get really creative, and I think every business can do that. There's so much opportunity. Yeah, and that just goes right back to to building the value and offering a higher value and people willing to be um, to pay what it is. Yep. Um, that's really cool. Um, so if you could go back in time and meet yourself when you first started back office buddies, what advice would you give? I would definitely say to seek out mentoring a lot sooner. Um, I think I was really surprised, um, being raised, you know, being raised really poor. I didn't know a lot of wealthy, successful people. And I had made a lot of assumptions about what those people were like based on the values and attitudes of, of my upbringing and where I come from, those people are the evil ones. They're stingy. They want to take advantage of us. Um, you know, with shoddy labor rates while they, you know, go swimming in money on the weekends. Um, So I had some really big hurdles to overcome with mind trash. And what I found is that the entrepreneurial community, successful people, yeah, there's a couple Scrooge McDucks out there that are real jerks, but they are so few and far between. I can't believe how many people invited me into their offices, opened up their books to me, taught me about how to look at different metrics. And it's just shocking to me how kind and supportive the community is. And so I wish I would have reached out. And so, you know, if I were a young lawyer just starting up, I would go out there and make some great referral partners. I would be out there making sure I have backups so that I could take a vacation or God forbid, if something were to happen to me, my clients would be taken care of and I could give them the same kind of comfort I'd build the relationships and then not be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable when I needed help and just share, Hey, I'm struggling. Is this, you know, can, can we have lunch and help me brainstorm something? That's great advice. Um, so when you aren't helping entrepreneurial solos grow their firms, what do you do? What are you into? Um, well, This is not very exciting, uh, but I love to read. I'm actually in an entrepreneur's book club. So this is kind of funny. On my off time, I like to read books and hang out with (laughs) entrepreneurs. Um, It's actually really fun. Don't judge. 
And I have another crew of entrepreneur friends that we go paddle boarding together. And we talk a lot about, about when we're feeling a little bit burned out or where we're feeling stressed or um, like we just want to run away to Mexico and leave it all behind. It's typically because we are missing out on some connection. And so for us, when we talk about going on our paddle boarding adventures, we do talk about a lot of vulnerable things. We talk about things going on in life. Um, but the big thing is we're getting exercise. We're getting our vitamin D. So we're outdoors and then we're getting connection. And so it's something magical about the combination of those three things um, that keeps me mentally sane. So I do that quite a bit. In fact, I'm going this afternoon and um, I love to travel and something brand new that I'm doing that I'm very passionate about is I am teaching with inmates to entrepreneurs. So we are working with um, inmates who are, they're out of the system or getting out soon and maybe they're going to not be able to find a job, not be able to create the career that they want because of the barriers of having that sentence following them around like a dark cloud. And so what better way to create your own path forward and reduce recidivism by going out there and starting your own business. And so the purpose of this course that we teach is how to start a business with a thousand dollars or less. And we teach all of the, you know, the big pieces of running the business and we're there to offer coaching and advice. Um, it's something that I'm so passionate about and I encourage other people to check it out. There's even a show it's on, I believe NBC and the program is inmates to entrepreneurs. That is so cool. <laughs> That's one, a lot um, of entrepreneurial activities. And obviously you've found your, um, the people that you relate the most to, which is cool. But being able to help so many people like in your job and then also on the side is really cool. Um, this has been a really great conversation. I've been really excited to talk to you. Um, and learn so much that I didn't know. <laughs> um, where can people find you? Um, well, at backofficebetties.com. Also, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active in Facebook groups. So there's a fabulous one that I think it's called something like lawyers who work from the beach or lawyers on the beach. Um, I really like that. I love just having those entrepreneurial conversations and that, hey, you know, I, I'm encountering this struggle right now, or I'm looking for that. Uh, what have you done? I love the, you know, experience sharing. Here's what I did. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but take it or leave it. Um, so you can find me in a lot of different Facebook groups as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily. You're welcome. And thank you everyone for joining us today. If you learned something or enjoyed this podcast, share it with someone else who might get some value from it. Um, that's it. We have another great episode of Solo De Facto, and I'll catch you all next time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, visit our site at solodefacto.com. And remember, smash that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist, helping you grow your firm one call, one chat, one new client at a time. To discover how they can help you grow your firm, head on over to backofficebetties.com and mention the Solo De Facto Show for an exclusive listener offer.